the outline there should say the marvelous work of God. The marvelous work of God. Now, there is a story uh, of a man living by the side of the road, right? And uh, he sells hot dogs. In fact, I think I've told this story before. He is blind and he is slightly deaf. So this man, of course, has no radio because he's, he's deaf, okay, partially deaf, and, uh, and, 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 and he, there's no point of him having a radio. So he has no radio, and of course he does not read newspapers. And he doesn't even bother going online because, of course, he's blind. But he sells good hot dogs, right? That's his business. He's wonderful. He sells his things. And this man uh, has put up signs by the road advertising his very wonderful hot dogs, right? And people are going in droves to buy the hot dogs. They just love them in the way he makes them, and they're just so excited by them. And so the business now is booming, right? He, and as it booms, right, he increases his meat, uh, he increases his barn orders, everything is going great. He even buys a larger store, right, just to make his business grow. Life has never looked better for this man. In fact, he makes so much money that he now is able to afford to send his son to an expensive private school. So he sends his son to this school. And eventually the boy does well at school and eventually goes to one of the top universities in the country. So that's what's happened. Now, unfortunately, when the son comes back after three years at uni, he comes back as an educated pessimist, right? So he says to his dad, Dad, have you not read the papers? Haven't you been online? There is a big recession coming. The city of London is struggling. House prices, as you know, are projected to fall. So the father thinks to himself, well, I can't go online. I can't read papers. And my son is very educated at a wonderful institution. My son has been to uni. He reads all the papers. So he knows what he's talking about. So the father now cuts down his meat orders. Uh, he takes down his signs. And he stops standing by the side of the road because the son has told him the future looks very gloomy. And of course, the inevitable happens. Overnight, his sales plummet, don't they? He's not, he's not sold anything. And so the dad now turns to his son. You know, son, you are right. You are definitely right. We are certainly in the middle of a big recession now. Now, as I thought about that story, which is clearly uh, fictional, uh, it reminded me that it's important for us to tune into the right channel for guidance and advice. We need reliable authorities in life and not self-appointed experts. And one of the things you have to think about as you start a new year, a new year 2019, you, you have to ask yourself, who are the authorities in your life? Who are you listening to? Who's guiding your decisions you are making? about life. That's the most important question to make. Because there are many self-appointed authorities out there. Are, are you looking to yourself as an expert? Are you looking to the media pundits? Who are you looking to? Very, very important. Now, as followers of Jesus, we need to remember as individuals and as a church that we live in a world ravaged by Satan, right? And Satan and the world are constantly putting out what Donald Trump calls fake news, right? They are putting out fake news about the work of God in our lives. He has his own propaganda thing going on. And he's telling us 
his own views. Satan wants us to live for this world. Satan's goal in 2019 for you is to live for yourself rather than the marvelous work of God in Jesus. And he's doing everything to tell you how gloomy the future is and actually how you should live for the present. Now, as believers, we need to resist Satan as individuals and as a church. We need to resist his fake news, so to speak. We need to depend on the reliable, realistic, and optimistic word of God, the Bible. That's what we need to do. And this morning, we are in Mark chapter 4, verse 30 to verse 34. And right in this passage, I love this passage, because right in this passage, we find the most wonderful news ever that should actually define how we should live in 2019. And if you're looking at this parable, which I know many of you would have heard countless sermons about it, if you're going to summarize this passage with one, in one sentence, I'll simply say it's saying this. It's saying, God is growing his people from small to great. God is growing his people from small to great. And I just wanted us this morning just to focus on that point only. This is a one-point message, right? It's in your outline. God is growing his people from small to great. Parables, by the way, usually only have one point. The good way, if you're studying parables in your own time, nearly always have one point. And in this case, this is the point Jesus is making. God is growing his people from small to great. Please look with me at page 30 to, sorry, at verse 30 to verse 32. Jesus wants us to picture here a farmer. Uh, we met this farmer's a, a bit of time through Mark. He wants to picture another farmer who is sowing the smallest seed we can imagine. Let's read verse 30. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Let's just pause there. Now, the botanical experts here, um, the, the gardeners, uh, may know, of course, that the, the mustard seed is technically not the smallest seed ever known to man. Uh, it is, though, the smallest seed of all the seeds known to Jesus' Jewish audience at this time. When they think of the smallest seed, they think the black mustard seed, by the way, in context. They think of the black mustard seed. It is very tiny. It is uh, about a millimeter in diameter. It takes about 750 seeds to weigh a gram, right? 750. And Jesus is using this master seed really as a figure of speech. That's how he's speaking. When he, when he says think of something small, whether it's faith or the work of God, he always says the master seed. Faith like a master seed. Or in this case, the kingdom of God is like a master seed. It's a very small seed. The mustard seed. And what is amazing about it is that this seed normally grows up to 10 to 12 feet as a plant. Very, very uh, high. Maybe, Amalice, we might get one of these mustard seeds out there uh, in, in the church garden. It grows up to 12 feet, and it is the largest of all garden plants and the favorite for birds, right? Look at verse 31 uh, to verse 32. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground 
is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shed. Now, the Bible teaches us that God created human beings so that we can share in the loving, eternal community of God. It's so that we can live in this community of God with God himself as our Lord and our King. That is why God created us. But as you know, human beings rejected God's love and community in Eden. Uh, Since our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, all of us enter this world really outside the full glory and majesty of God's community, outside that love. So there is a sense that I've been saying in Mark, God, all the world is God's community, right? All the world is God's kingdom, right? But the full glory of God's kingdom is only found in that intimate relationship with God. And we rejected that, right? So if you like, the world has been split now in two kingdoms. The kingdom of God remains, and there is the kingdom of this world. Well, in well, the good news of the Bible is that God still wants us to be part of his community. And he has come in Jesus to create this new community. And in this parable we're looking at, the mustard seed represents God's new community. Right? That's what it represents. It is what God is doing in Jesus. And Jesus is saying it starts very small and grows to be the greatest kingdom on earth. So great, the birds of the air are nesting on the plant. Let's look at verse 32 again. So important to get verse 32. Yet when, it's so, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches. Why? So that the birds of the air can make nests in its shed. I can't emphasize more here that I know we've met birds before, right? In the parable, we met the birds in the parable of the sower. I can't emphasize more that the birds here are not predators. They are the reason, the ultimate end for which this tree has been planted. Look at verse 32 again. Why? So that, the last sentence, so that, because, as a matter of fact, so that the end purpose is that the birds of the air can make nests in its shed. They are the reason, actually, for the tree. So the question we have to ask is, what are these birds? Well, the birds stands for the nations. It stands for the nations and peoples of the world. In the Old Testament, earthly kingdoms are usually pictured as trees with birds. So you remember the Nebuchadnezzar, right? That dream in Daniel 4. The kingdom of Babylon is pictured as a tree for which the birds come and nest all the peoples, all the nations. Ezekiel 17 uh, verse 22 to verse 24 again talks about that. In the Psalms, the birds building nests in the trees is pictured actually as a sign of God's providence and lavish grace in our world. Turn with me to Psalm 104. Just listen to it. Psalm 104, verse 12. You could just flick over in the middle of the passage and you see there this verse in Psalm 104, verse 12. It says, It's beside them. The birds of the heaven dwell. They sing among the branches, right? It's a great picture of what God is doing in the world, of his grace. That he makes a world in which the birds of heaven come and dwell. They are happy. So the birds really are a picture 
of God's providence and lavish grace. Flip back to, to Mark chapter 4, verse 30 to 34. So what Jesus here is doing is that he's saying that the new community of God uh, he has come to initiate will become so marvelous, so wonderful, that all races, all peoples, all languages, all the birds, so to speak, will dwell in this kingdom. It is a marvelous kingdom. It's a wonderful picture that his kingdom will be all-encompassing. Now imagine you work for, the, for BBC Israel, right? And you are there as Jesus is speaking. You are the G- John Simpson of Capernaum. And you are there as Jesus has just given this parable. And you're doing a story about Jesus, right? And you want to get his views about, you know, the prospects of his ministry, where it's going, that sort of thing. And you hear him talk about that he's building this kingdom, which is going to be so big, so marvelous. What do you make of what Jesus is saying? What do you make of that? Well, as a journalist, I hope you have his biography to end. And when you look at Jesus' biography, what do you see? You see that Jesus was born in scandal by a poor teenage girl who claimed that she, was con- that she conceived him by the Holy Spirit. That's what your, your biography says of Jesus. He has never been to university. Uh, he's not part of the elite. And in fact, until now, Jesus has spent 30 years of his life on earth in obscurity, swinging a hammer with Joseph. That's all he knows. He has never been married. And when you last spoke to his brothers in Nazareth, uh, they said he has actually gone mad. Don't listen to him. He's gone mad. You've been to the religious experts to get their views about Jesus, and they've said, no. Yes, he's doing miracles, but stay away from him. He's demon-possessed. So when Jesus says here he's starting a new community greater than anything we know, do you believe it? Do you think the people listening to him are believing in that this is really going to happen? I think you are rolling your eyes on the floor with laughter as he makes this audacious claim. I think you are saying to yourself as a journalist, I can't write about Jesus. I think this is ridiculous. No one is going to believe this if we put it out there in the news. Forget it. And yet, here we are, isn't it? Here we are here, this morning in Bexley. We are here because Jesus said we'll be here. I don't know how you feel about the church, whether you are despondent about the church in the world, or even despondent about the future of this church in general. I don't know, maybe you don't even have that surrender to Christ yet in your life. But one thing you can't deny here is that Jesus said... We will be here, and we are the church. We are a marvelous miracle of God. The master seed has grown. And as we sit here today, we see this upward growth of the community of God, not just in Bexley, but all around the world. The gospel is taking the world by storm for 2,000 years now. For every African child born, two Africans are becoming Christians. And no matter what the Chinese government does, it is clear that over the next decade, there will be 250 million Protestant Christians in China alone. Up from 1 million 60 years ago. 
to 250 by the end of the middle of the next decade, over the next 10 years. 1,600 congregations are formed around the world each week. David Garrison, in his book, a book I always bang on about, A Wind in the House of Islam, you can borrow my copy, documents how Jesus is saving Muslims from around the world. He says over the last decade, around 70 movements, listen to this, 70 movements of at least 100 new fellowships. That means one movement equals 100 fellowships, right? Over the last decade, 70 of those movements have appeared around the Muslim world. In fact, it documents the seven houses of Islam. In Persia, they are springing up. In Pakistan, they are springing up. In Arabia, they are springing up. South Asia, they are springing up. The greatest revival we are seeing at the moment is occurring in the Muslim world. Now, again, this, all these wonderful statistics, right? Of course, we have chapels in the UK closing their doors. We've seen that. But even here, when you speak to those who are reaching the UK, the trend is not a decline as such. The trend is that weak and biblical churches are declining. And new biblical evangelical churches, God-centered churches, are growing. That's the picture. The hunger for church planting has never been greater. The mustard plant is growing. And the best is yet to come. Jesus says it will keep growing and become larger than everything around it. How do I know? Look at verse 32. Look at verse 32. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shed. The key thing I want you just to see there is that word that it becomes larger than all the garden plants. Because what Jesus is saying here is that what we have here is the vision of the glory and power of Jesus ever increasing in our world until he is fully exalted above all competing kingdoms. Now, the Bible teaches that Jesus, through his death on the cross, right, defeated all enemies of God, all enemies against God's new community. And the death of Jesus and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven, his secession, paved the way for, G, for, the, for the church to grow going forward. But that was only the start, isn't it? Because the Bible tells us that Jesus will soon appear to establish his millennial kingdom on earth. And again, even that, that won't be the end point because beyond the millennial kingdom of Revelation 20, Jesus will, God himself will come and dwell with us in the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation 21. Turn with me to Revelation 21, verse 1 to 4, to see our marvelous future. Revelation 21, verse 1 to 4. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, 
coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed. Here we have the grand vision that Jesus is talking about. The master seed has grown now. God dwelling among us. And Jesus is saying the vision of God for this world is that this new community of growth will grow and grow and grow and grow and grow until the kingdoms of this world becomes the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, remember who Mark is writing this to. Who is he writing to? Believers in Rome, right? What's happened to the believers in Rome? They are being hunted down by Nero's lions. Nero wants to chew the mustard plant. And can you imagine how they feel reading these words of Jesus about the mustard seed? I just want you to imagine them there, huddled together, frightened of Nero as it were, huddled together around a candle in a catacomb. Nero is breathing down on their neck. How do they feel when they read the parable of the mustard seed? I think they must be so encouraged. I think it's more than that. They are really excited to see that they are part of a new community of God in Jesus that will outlive Nero. And it will outlive them. And I think when they look at this parable, they are filled with new confidence. They can go out there now and face Nero. They can face the wild beasts. They can be set on fire because they are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. They know it is a privilege to be part of this amazing work of God. This is a sense of privilege we need to have as a new community of God in Jesus here in Bexley If As we begin the year of our Lord, 2019. The work of God in Bexley Heath will go on as long as God wants it. The church of God, wherever it is found, is not at the mercy of the world. Its story is already written. God never runs out of power. He never runs out of his love for his true family, the church. And so his church will keep on growing. It will keep on growing until Jesus appears. And most importantly, God is going to do his work with or without us. With or without us. This parable comforts us even as it crushes our pride. Because as I looked at this parable, I realized the future is already written. Why does God need Shola as a pastor? And the answer, it doesn't. God doesn't need any of us to do his marvelous work. You know, God doesn't need this fellowship to reach Bexley Heath. The master plant will grow. He can do it without this church. You know, God does not need me as a pastor in this church 
for him to do his work among you. Do you know that? He doesn't need you. Do you know God does not need you to share Jesus with people around you to serve them? Do you know God does not need you to come to Bible study to strengthen his work in the church? Do you realize that God does not need your prayers on Saturday mornings to, to bring revival to Bexley East? Do you realize that God does not need our money to support his work? He doesn't need it. The master seed is growing. Do you know God does not need you to visit other believers to strengthen them and grow them in Christ? God can perfectly do that on his own if he wants. God desires and commands these things to us. But he does not need anything from anyone. I think there's a verse in the Bible. That the God of the Bible, Paul says, is not like he needs anything. Oh, he crushes our pride. He crushed my pride when I looked at this. Because I realized that God is not begging for my devotion. Or my commitment from me. I don't know about you, but I find this very painful. When I looked at it, I felt so pained by it. Because you see, sometimes I want God to pat me on the back. Like I am doing God a favor just getting up to pray. Sometimes I want God to pat me on the back if I make a visit to someone. I want God to pat me on the back if I prepare two sermons. I say, Lord, that was hard. You know it's hard. Please. No, God doesn't need me. I forget the truth of this parable. I forget it is a privilege for me, a sinner, to even get near to God. Let alone to be part of this amazing, marvelous work of God. And as I thought about this, I thought this should transform how I live before God and his people. You know, football managers tell us that when a team is winning, every player wants to play. If a team is on a winning streak, every player wants to play. Why? Because the privilege of being part of a winning team pushes them on to work harder, to want to be part of it. What more, friends? Our winning team in Jesus. This amazing community of God. It should be grander than that, shouldn't it? To realize we are part of this community of God should push us to what to get involved. When we see what the gospel is, it is the only game in town. There is no other game in town. It is only the gospel. When we see we are part of something so marvelous, we want to get involved. You know what? If you profess faith in Jesus, as you start 2019, as you think about your goals, as you think about all you are planning to do, can I just encourage you to really reflect on your life? Just ask yourself this question. Just one question. Do I sense the privilege of being part of God's amazing work in this world? Do I sense the privilege of being in this church? Do I sense the privilege of sharing Jesus with others? Do I sense the privilege of being a faithful husband to my wife for Christ? Do I sense the privilege of being his appointee, so to speak, his ambassador at work where I work? Just ask yourself that. Do you sense the privilege as you drive the truck? As you speak to the students, 
God has set you in this world as part of the master plan. The branch is reaching in places of work, in places of government, in places of the transportation industry, in places of care, other places God has put you. You've got to ask yourself that. Because if you're a true follower of Jesus, this should encourage you. And not only as part of God's work, but also it should encourage you individually in your daily work with Jesus. Whatever you find yourself in. This is the massive seed your faith started off so small when you were first converted. But now it's growing, isn't it? What a hopeful picture. Some of you I know are, are, are just young in trusting Jesus, but your, your faith is growing like a mustard seed. But more than that, you are part of something grander. Because, you know, maybe you are in that season of your life where you feel frustrated by lack of progress. Or you only see sinfulness, weaknesses, and failures. Or perhaps as you start 2019, you're feeling low because, you know, you're trusting in Jesus, but you feel overwhelmed by pain, you feel overwhelmed by suffering, you feel overwhelmed by, by, by opposition from people around you. And you can be very discouraged. You may feel so small, and there is a sense in which you are. <coughs> My beloved, in Jesus, that's not the, that's not the fact. The, the, the beloved, in Jesus, this parable said there's no need to despair. No matter your circumstances, today you have a great future. That's not positive talk. That is the word of the living God. You belong to God's true family. So no matter what the future brings, your future is already written. How is it written? It's written with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Eternal glory lies ahead of you. Fact. Not fiction. The victory flag has been hoisted by Jesus on Calvary. Our great champion has already won. Sin defeated. Death defeated. Satan defeated. That's the fact in Christ. So keep your focus on your future with Jesus. And if you do that, your life will become a joyful celebration of the marvelous work of God in the here and now. Imagine if you face opposition in 2019 and you remember that you are part of the marvelous work of God. Imagine when you go into that meeting with members of staff and you know everybody's sort of shouting at you and doing all sorts of things. And then you just remember that actually, even in here, you are part of the great work of God. I think whatever situation you find yourself in, you will be growing, experiencing the peace and joy of God in every circumstance. And that's a great future we should be thankful for that we have. And let us remember that. Let us ask God to help us keep that focus on the work he's doing. But let us remember that not everyone here is part of this marvelous work of God in Jesus. Let us be clear that this truth is only for those who are truly trusting in Jesus. It is only for those who who have looked at their lives and they see that they are sinners and they do not deserve life with God. Because they are sinners like the rest of mankind. They have recognized that they deserve eternal punishment. And they have come humbly before God. They have asked God to forgive them of their sins based on what the Lord Jesus has done. And Jesus has done that. He has planted them by that mustard, like a mustard seed. And their faith is growing. 
They have turned from idols to serve the living God, like the church at Thessalonica. They have surrendered to Jesus. They have come for help before the throne of grace, before Jesus like blind Bartimaeus. And Jesus has given them sight. Does that describe you this morning? Do you know something of this work of conversion? This the sower as a sower planted you as a mustard seed of new faith. Well, if not, please listen to what Jesus to what Mark says in verse 33 to verse 34. He hands this, he says, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it, and not for preachers there, as they were able to hear it. Verse 34, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. I thought about this and I thought, this is great, isn't it? Today you've sat here, you have heard the parable, and you have heard something they didn't hear. You've heard its interpretation. You are so privileged. You know the meaning. You have it. The question is, what will you do now with what you have heard? What will you do with this offer of new life with Jesus? Will you continue rejecting Jesus? Or do you surrender now? Will you continue towards everlasting suffering? Or do you choose a new wonderful future, a marvelous future, with Jesus in the here and now, going towards the world of Revelation 21? Well, Only you can answer that. Amen.